Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out, Demystifying HR and People Management. I'm thrilled to introduce you to another dear friend and mentor, Bill House. Bill took this young fledgling, me, and helped her build her wings. Although he didn't have any say in the matter, as I'd already been hired by the Communication Workers of Canada to assist in a union organizing campaign, he thankfully trusted that decision and accepted me into the fold. I was 20 at the time, and I had a great deal to learn. And Bill, of all his many positive attributes, is extremely patient. I met Bill when I arrived at the airport in Toronto on my flight from Vancouver, British Columbia. Although I was expecting him to be holding a sign, he picked me out of the crowd. Ah, perhaps it was the, oh my God, I'm in Toronto when I said yes to this adventure, look on my face. And the adventure began as soon as my luggage was collected. Off I was whisked for my first union organizing meeting. If I remember correctly, it was either in Belleville or Kingston. So we headed east. Welcome, Bill. <laughs> Thank you for saying yes. It's a pleasure to be here, Susan. Thank you. First, I'd like to tell a little bit about you, and then we'll, we'll start into some of the questions. Bill hadn't started his career as a union organizer, but quickly found that it suited his temperament, his passion for helping ensure that justice was being administered, and his innate skills. He was really good at it. I knew even at the time that I was really lucky to be being provided the opportunity to work with this man. Now, with gratitude to Joan Roberts, author of Cracked, how telephone operators took on Canada's largest corporation and won, it's a book that honors that same Bell Canada organizing campaign and the many individuals who contributed to its success. I have lifted the following from the book about Bill. So Bill is a native Torontonian. He went to school in Vaughan Road Collegiate Institute and at 19, he started working at Northern Electric in Bramley, Ontario. Bill got involved with organizing for the United Electrical Workers while working at that plant. He moved into the office part of Northern Electric, which had a company association. He became active and one of the leaders of a strike by Northern Electric office workers in 1966, the first successful strike ever at Northern. Coming out of the strike, the association members realized that they needed a legitimate trade union. 
Bill was on the committee that interviewed all of the unions with a connection to telecom. They chose the United Auto Workers, the UAW. Bill became involved in organizing with the UAW and was active in that local for several years. He left Northern in 1972 and went to work with the Canadian Labour Congress. Now this is an umbrella organization for many of Canada's unions. Bill's going to talk a little bit more about that in the podcast. So he was there to organize white collar workers and actually organized the first chapter of the Association of Commercial and Technical Employees. Knowing his background in organizing telecom, the Communication Workers of Canada, the CWC, asked that Bill be put on loan from the CLC for its organizing drive. The CWC eventually hired Bill, making him a national representative responsible for organizing in Ontario in 1974. I joined the team he was leading in 1978, four years later. My stint with assisting Bill and the team was to be four months. I stayed for four years. I still love the book that Bill gave me when I left. As I had purchased a guitar, it was a songbook titled Songs of Work and Protest. 100 favorite songs of American workers complete with music and historical notes. Bill wanted to ensure that I never forgot my roots, and I haven't. Bill also never wavers from his values and beliefs. Wonderful attributes for a mentor, wonderful training for this mentee. Bill left the CWC in 1989 and began work as the labor link to social justice movements with the Toronto and New York Region Labor Council. He remained there until his semi-retirement in 2000, but more on this later. When I asked Bill if he would agree to be interviewed, he, in typical Bill spirit, said yes. He reminded me of the need for people's understanding that the union does not just negotiate for better wages and benefits for its members. It plays a much larger role and one that he has focused on through his career. Bill, we're going to start with our time together um, talking about your work with the Toronto and York Region Labour Council. And maybe for context, if you could describe what a labor council is in general, like the structure and purpose, and then more specifically your work with the Toronto and York Region Labor Council. I think they just celebrated their 150th anniversary, so they've been around for a while. That's right. Uh, it's been quite a while. It's got a very uh, honorable history and as part of the uh, society in, in Toronto. Uh, and there's a special website developed to celebrate that 150th anniversary uh, if people are interested in learning more about it. Um, the labor movement really is, uh, parallels the three levels of government in Canada. Uh, at the national or federal level, you have the Canadian Labor Congress, which is made up of all the, most of the major unions in the country. And they look look at such matters as the federal budget, human rights, ecology, immigration, etc. All of the responsibilities that the federal government has, uh, labor responds to through the Canadian Labor Congress. At the provincial level, uh, we have in Ontario, the Ontario Federation of Labor. And uh, through the Ontario Federation of Labor, we look after uh, labor's interest with respect to areas such as health, transportation, education, 
provincial park, highways, and the like. Okay. And finally, at the municipal or, or uh, city level, you have labor councils. And they look after labor's interests or union members' interests in issues such as transit, schools, housing, and anti-poverty. So in addition to administrative work uh, with the Labor Council uh, and occasionally standing in for the president, uh, my work was to ensure that workers' interests were considered by the municipal councils, the Toronto City Council and the York Region City mm -hmm. Council. To this end, I worked with various social justice groups and with the NDP municipal caucuses as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so with regard to the CLC, the OFL and labor councils, unions belong as a collective. It's not an individual membership per se. That's right, unions are, are uh, union locals vote to affiliate with the Labour Council, with the Provincial Federation of Labour, and with the Canadian Labour Congress. And then at each of the levels, they conduct initiatives such as what you've just outlined. That's that's right. Okay, good. Thank you. I think it just helps the context of, of what you were doing and um, some of the labour organizations within Canada. Yes, thank you. I noticed on that website, and there's actually a great YouTube about the 150th anniversary, if anyone's interested in, in taking a look, that the Toronto and York Region Labour Council has a current mandate that reflects the goal of working to build a society based on social, economic, racial and climate justice, and that it has won victories that have made real improvements in people's lives. Now, I have a pretty good sense of these, but in your words, please. Well, uh, we helped to make great strides in the field of social justice, uh, the Labour Council in, in Toronto. We helped found the White Ribbon Campaign, which was uh, uh, fighting against uh, violence against women. Um, we uh, worked with the, un uh, the women's movement to ensure that women's reproductive choice was maintained. Mm -hmm. And we defended abortion clinics against protesters who sought to prevent that choice. Mm -hmm. We supported anti-poverty organizations in their bid for housing for the homeless, and we helped the founding and functioning of the Metro Network for Social Justice. This is a network which lasted a period of about four or five years, and uh, it was very active in promoting the interests of working people and those who are not working, mm -hmm. people who are seeking employment, and uh, it did excellent work in that field. On the economic front, uh, we not only helped fight for wage and benefit improvements for our union members, but we organized and we supported the effort to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour mm -hmm. in Ontario. We've striven for racial equality by supporting movements such as the Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And we're proud of the fact, very proud of the fact that we really recently elected the first black woman to be a president of a labor council in Toronto. Her name is Andrea Babington and she comes from the hotel industry. Wonderful. Union members and, and our council's environment committee Environment Committee helped to found the green jobs movement here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, we continue to work to ensure that job creation is done with the environment as a prime consideration. Wow, those are huge accomplishments. Thank you. Now, I also noted in Joan's book that you were involved in the Metro Days of Action. Can you tell us a little bit about this? And I just, I remember being involved in the day of protest in the 70s. I think it was right across Canada. 
and how it left an impact on me in my life. And I'm certain that the Metro Days of Action did similarly to its participants. A little bit more it's about that? Yes, it certainly did uh, make an impact on me. Uh, I was centrally involved in it. Um, the Days of Action Ontario were organized to change the, the regressive direction of the conservative premier, Mike Harris, uh, and his so-called common sense revolution. That had had tremendous negative effects on working people, and we responded. Uh, we organized large demonstrations and marches throughout Ontario. Halfway through this series, I was asked to take on the role of coordinating the, the massive participation of the social justice sector mm -hmm. throughout Ontario, in partnership, of course, with the labor movement. This culminated in the Metro Days of Action, which uh, was centered in Toronto, and that featured a one-day general strike in which hundreds of thousands of people, both union members and people who are not affiliated with our movement, walked off the job and marched to Queen's Park, the seat of government in Ontario. And it's said to be the largest political demonstration ever mounted in Canada. Wow. And I suspect that had a significant impact on many of those individuals as well. I also read, great website, that the Labour Council asks affiliates to identify new diverse activists and support capacity building, including creating a mentoring process to pair up veteran leaders for those individuals who are emerging and recruiting some young workers. This would be a fabulous way to identify, encourage and demonstrate leadership. Were you part of this program? I was, I, I took part in the program and I mentored a young teacher who was active in his uh, teacher's union. Unfortunately, his workload uh, changed and he wasn't able to continue. I think that the initiative needed more attention from the council. Mm. And I've often lamented the fact that our movement doesn't take full advantage of the huge wealth of experience available from retired union staff. So I hope this initiative is pursued in the future under the new leadership in the Labour Council. And I know there are a lot of retirees who are realizing that retirement is not quite what they'd expected. So this may, this podcast may encourage uh, some of that. I, I would hope so. So I'm gonna take us back to your CWC years of your career, if that's okay. So as an organizer, you moved from oversight of the Ontario region's organizing the bell operators actually I think they were called traffic and dining services, to organizing the Bell Canada clerical workers, and then to organizing the office, technical and operator units amongst other campaigns in Newfoundland, New Brunswick, Manitoba, Alberta, and BC. Uh, you and I actually worked on the Manitoba campaign as well. That was lots of fun and a, another great success. And you taught seminars on organizing. By that time, CWC had merged with a number of other unions to become the Communications, Energy, and Paperworkers Union of Canada, um, a largely private sector labor union with now 150,000 members uh, through the merger of three unions, the Canadian Paperworkers Union, the Communication and Electrical Workers of Canada, and the Energy and Chemical Workers Union. That must have been quite a change. What was that like? It was a change. It was a very significant change at each stage of the merging process. Mm -hmm. um, 
I was employed by the union uh, through the first and second mergers, actually the three mergers, uh, the one with the International Union of Electrical Workers, which was the first merger, mm -hmm. uh, and then with the, uh, with the uh, communications and uh, education, uh, sorry, communications and paper workers right. union, and, uh, and finally with the, uh, with the uh, CAW, Canadian Auto Workers Union. Um, mm. And I continued, I had retired before the final merger with the auto workers. Uh, and that would have been a return to my original union roots, which mm -hmm. was uh, organizing my local into the United Auto Workers. Uh, the impact of the union on mergers has been both positive and negative, I think. On the positive side, it provided more personnel and financial resources to provide better services to our members. Mm -hmm. And of course, more the more members, the greater the strength at the bargaining table. On the other hand, I think that the relationships between executive and staff of the union with the members, the individual members, uh, are weakened when the union leaders are more remote from their members, mm -hmm. simply because of the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a comparison would be uh, the change from a mom and pop business to a large corporation. You yeah. lose the, the personal touch uh, in some ways. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to take us to another area. I'm blessed with the opportunity to work with you and many other incredible leaders that I was introduced to through my work with the CWC. I watched people literally face their fear and step forward. Um, I watched individuals stand firm in their commitments. I watched our members, balanced employees, willing to fight for something that they believed in. I watched the development of skills that really define great leadership. And I've continued to watch emerging leaders through my career, often via the volunteer positions, such as being a steward or union executive. I think it's important to understand and realize that these, these are leadership positions and a wonderful opportunity to hone leadership skills. I know that you've witnessed the same in the work that you've done. As examples, some of the people you and I worked with, Janice McClellan, Dan Newman, George Larder, Joan Roberts, Cynthia Tanute. I shouldn't even mention name because there's so many others. Um, where are they? Where did they go well, in their careers? It, it's hard to count all of the people who I know who have been developed uh, as a result of their choosing to be active in the union. Uh, of those you mentioned, one became a national representative for the union. Um, another became active in the struggle for racial equality. Another became a, direct, a developer of co-op housing. Mm -hmm. uh, one became a Toronto city councillor and wrote, and that's the Joan Roberts that you mentioned earlier. Yep, yep, yep. And she wrote the book, she wrote a book about organizing of telephone operators at Bell Canada. Uh, another became a national representative of a different union. And one married Ed Seymour, <laughs> a very good friend who you interviewed previously. Yes, yes, we were both blessed to work with Ed. And actually, I understand that you encouraged him to the Communication Workers of Canada initially. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, and I just uh, heard from another. Um, so it's interesting how some of us have kept in touch and others. It's been a long time. Uh, Eunice Gill uh, reached out and uh, sent me an email. So lovely, lovely those connections that continue. 
I don't know about in Ontario, but in BC, what I've also watched is too many employers not uh, look at succession planning. And I've heard that the same has happened in our unions. I've seen that um, paid reps retiring, they have uh, worked with and groomed someone to fill their position, and then all of a sudden they're snapped up by another union. Has, has this been your experience in Ontario? I believe it's also true in Ontario. It, it has both positive and negative effects, however. On the one hand, unions lose valuable experienced uh, potential staff. On the other hand, opportunities are created for employment uh, with, with unions that are created. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah, because unions are employers. Um, That's right. You know, similar to people moving on in the senior management positions within, within the organizations. Yeah, good point. Correct. Now, you started at Northern Electric and quickly found your niche, um, eventually, because it, you did spend, I think, nine years at Northern Electric. That's right. Right. And then you end up moving into working for the labor movement. And it obviously has been a very interesting and satisfying career for you. As we talk about different career possibilities, working for a union or a labor council or the many support networks uh, who are also looking for great people is an option for our listeners um, and something that they may, may wish to consider. Um, these organizations all need good leaders, uh, just as our employers need good leaders. I've seen great stewards become great supervisors and managers. It's using the same skills. What'll be important is ensuring the values alignment with the organizations that you choose to apply those skills within. But what are your thoughts on this? Well, there was actually a nine-year period, that nine-year period when I worked for Northern, but at the same time, I served as an apprenticeship, so to speak, uh, with the union. During this period, I served as a steward, a chief steward, and a member of the executive board. I handled grievances and prepared for arbitration cases when grievances couldn't be solved. Uh, and I, became, I came to, so by that route, I came to full employment with the union by much the same process as many union staff, that is through the ranks of, mm -hmm. of the, un, the union membership. Mm -hmm. It's very much been my experience that the skills that are needed by supervisors and managers, and I've met many of them in my career, usually in an adversarial position, <laughs> yes. but uh, the same skills are, are required by union leaders and staff. The big difference to my mind is that union staff are more free to follow their principles. They're not restrained in any way by corporate policies, which may differ from them. And uh, they're not led by the profit motive. Yeah, oh, absolutely good point. Certainly with some, with some organizations and those wouldn't have been the ones that I would have chosen to work with either. You've made a really positive difference and you continue to in your retirement. You established organizing resources, um, offering consulting services to unions engaged in organizing campaigns. You were the co-founder of Not Just Tourists, collecting tons of surplus medicine and medical supplies and sending them with tourists to Cuba and to other developing countries, 10 kilograms at a time. And you also continue to work on behalf of feral cats in the Toronto, greater Toronto area, including, I understand, coordinating the building of over a thousand 
winter shelters. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of these activities? Well, uh, organizing resources uh, was my occupation. Um, and it was a great way to earn some post-retirement income, mm -hmm. but it also provided an opportunity to work in different fields. Uh, I helped organize college teachers. I helped organize assistant professors at the University of Toronto. Um, and I also organized a protest at the Bell Canada Golf Open, uh, where uh, we were fighting for uh, pay equity for telephone operators and clerks at Bell. Bell had been digging in their heels and refusing pay equity. And uh, this helped to move them along and bring them to, uh, to a, a, a new conclusion that it would be good to institute. I know equity. there's a whole other story behind that one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I was uh, inspired to help found not just tourists Toronto by a visit that two friends and I made to a doctor and his wife who formed a group by the same name in St. Catharines, Ontario. Mm -hmm. uh, we were so impressed by the great work that they were doing that on driving back to Toronto, the three of us decided we had to form a group in Toronto. Uh, we did, and we developed sources for surplus or outdated medical supplies mm -hmm and equipment, and we sent it to local medical clinics in the countries that we served. Mm -hmm. We sent 10 kilos, as you mentioned, 10 kilos of supplies in old suitcases that we'd scrounged or found. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and we sent them with tourists because they were allowed to take in 10 extra kilos of, uh, of uh, medical materials. Mm -hmm. And uh, we sent them to not only to Cuba, but to also other developing countries. By the time I left the organization, it had sent many tons of medical supplies abroad. Wow, well needed and well done. Well, the, uh, it, it was, a, it was a, a very interesting and a very uh, energetic part of my uh, post-retirement post career. Yeah. Um, I moved on from that to uh, Toronto Street Cats, and that was another organization that I helped to found uh, here in the city. Uh, the motivation was a love for cats that I have and the work that my wife did with feral cats in Istanbul, mm -hmm. where we lived before we were married. Uh, Toronto Street Cats has built thousands of shelters now. It's many thousands of shelters, oh, wow. as, as a matter of fact. And uh, we organize food for uh, the caretakers who look after colonies of feral cats. And our volunteers, volunteer vets have spayed and neutered thousands of feral cats in the city. And by this, by this method, we've reduced, significantly reduced the population of feral cats and improved the lives of those who are feral. Wow. Boy, forever making a positive difference. You haven't changed over all these years. <laughs> and a, little, a little more crickety. <laughs> oh, I know that too. You also spend half of your retirement years in Istanbul. And... I know that you're anxious for the borders to reopen. Uh, of course, that's, you've not been able to do that over the last couple of years because of the pandemic and to be able to rejoin family and friends. Um, I am so glad that we've been able to connect um, and for you to give all of what you have shared today, but also all of what you've given to the world and to me 
for taking me, taking me under your wing those many years ago. Just really appreciate. It is time for us to both fly, speaking of wings, and to bring this podcast to a close. Bill, any last thoughts? Well, I'd just like to say that anyone interested in developing leadership skills should consider becoming active in their union or consider forming one in their workplace. Uh, it can lead to a career and a dynamic movement that improves the lives of working people. And it's one that offers great personal satisfaction in knowing that you can make a difference and you can make a difference in individuals' lives and, uh, and in society in general. And Bill, I know that if anyone was interested in talking to you more about what that might look like, um, that you're prepared to be contacted. I am. I've put your contact information on the show notes for this podcast. And I will also um, put the information about the Toronto and York Region Labour Council, that YouTube video. And um, I think they're the, the book um, information, um, Joan Roberts' book. Uh, I'll put in the show notes as well for our listeners. We sure hope that you have found today's session interesting and helpful to listen to uh, for our listeners. I will be back again next week. I hope you'll again join me as you, you guessed it, dare to soar. Bill and Susan signing out. Thank you again, Bill. Been a pleasure. <laughs> have a great day, everyone. Bye for now. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review or whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangene at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me. <laughs>